Well, what an incredible Easter Sunday we had last Sunday, celebrating Easter, celebrating the launch of on-site service again, celebrating the fact that we're in a brand new venue. It is a new season that we're so excited about. And on top of all that, we also started a brand new message series here at Thrive Church. It is called Find Your Life Again. And see, why do we call the series Find Your Life Again? It's because maybe over these past two years of this pandemic, it's been like an earthquake that has rocked many of our lives. In fact, all of our lives. We've all felt the impact of COVID-19, of the restrictions, of all the things that have caused the pandemic to be such a life and history-altering thing in our lives. It's disrupted so much of life. It's like an earthquake that's rocked life as we know it. And I don't know about you, but I find that for a lot of us, it's like we're trying to pick up the pieces of our lives again. We're trying to recover things that we've lost. And maybe it's one of those things where as strong as you've tried to be for your family during this time, as strong as you've tried to be for your kids or for your spouse, as strong as you've tried to be for your team at work, your staff, your company, for the people in your care, maybe, just maybe, if you have to be really honest with yourself, you can say that you've actually lost something in the process. Is that maybe you've lost some hope. Maybe you've lost some direction. Maybe because of some of the things that have happened to you that have been difficult and unexpected, that you feel like you've lost some of your faith, or if not all of it. Maybe you feel like because of what's happened these past couple of years, you're not really sure what to do with your life anymore. Or maybe you've lost your motivation. You've lost a sense of joy. You've lost a sense of passion for life. Maybe you lost someone you love, and now the relationship is different. And you know what? How do you get your life back together when you feel like you've lost something big? That's what we're talking about in this series called Find Your Life Again. And speaking of losing something, let me tell you a story. Many, many years ago, after I graduated from high school, my family decided to go on a little family vacation to Hawaii. Oh, doesn't that sound nice right now? Going to Hawaii. Some of you guys are going back into traveling right now. And remember, we were going to Hawaii and I had this list in my mind of all these things I wanted to do. I wanted to try surfing for the very first time. I wanted to maybe try snorkeling. I wanted to swim in the ocean. And I remember that very first day that we arrived in Hawaii, I decided to go to the beach. I decided to go for a run. And I thought, oh, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I could reenact that famous scene from that famous movie called Rocky Three, where Rocky and his buddy Apollo Creed, they are running on the beach. They're running, and it looks so cool. And, you know, their muscles are just, like, pulsating. All stuff. And, and I was like, oh, man, that would be so cool to do. And so I decided to do that. I thought I wanted to reenact the scene from Rocky Three. So what I did is I took my shoes and my socks off because, you know, I thought, you know, they were running barefoot, so I want to run barefoot as well. So I take my shoes and my socks off. I put them in the sand, and I start to run. I start to run as fast as I can. I sprint. And, you know, for about two minutes, I'm sprinting. And, you know, I feel the wind in my hair. It feels so good. And after two minutes, I stop. And, you know, and, and I feel as I'm stopping, taking a breath, that my feet feel kind of funny. And when I look at my feet, I see on the soles of both my feet that I've lost all the skin on the soles of my feet is that they actually came off because the sun was so hot. And because the sand was so hot, I literally burned the skin off of my feet. And when I looked, I didn't feel at the time because the adrenaline was rushing. But then when I stopped, I'm like, and so, and I, I'm like, oh man. And so I said, it was just really kind of awkward. I had to heel step my way back to my shoes, grabbed my shoes, went back upstairs to our hotel room. And guess what? Because of this injury, I could not do all the things that I wanted to do in Hawaii. Everyone go, oh, 
In fact, instead of going surfing, I never got to go surfing. Instead of snorkeling, I never got to go snorkeling. I couldn't even walk. It was one of those things where I had to be cooped up in the balcony of our hotel room while my family went out and had fun. And it was one of those unexpected, difficult moments where I'm like, why? And see, here's the thing. And what, you know what the silliest thing evolves is that when I finally, just a few weeks ago, I was looking back at the scene from Rocky III, and I realized something, is that Rocky and his buddy Apollo, they weren't even running barefoot. They had shoes on. They had socks. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm like, I'm not even like, doing the, the right thing, but I'm, I'm going after the wrong vision there. But see, here's the thing. I'm cooped up in this little balcony by myself. And, you know, at the time, I was a new Christian. And the only book that I brought with me to Hawaii was my Bible. I wasn't expected to read very much. And I remember I'm on this small balcony, and I'm just reading the Gospel of John. And for some reason, as I'm sitting there on the balcony and reading the Gospel of John, the Word of God, the Scriptures, opened up for me in a way that they'd never opened up for me before. And I didn't just see things in the Word of God that I'd never seen before that were impacting me in a special way. But in, on top, of that, I, just, I could sense the Holy Spirit so strongly, like a gentle wind blowing through my life. In, and I, I experienced the presence of God on that balcony in a way that I'd never felt before. I felt like falling in love. And it was one of those things where over the next few days, that's all I would do. I was just sit on that bell because I couldn't do anything else. I'd watch everyone else go surfing and all that stuff. But then I'd look at my Bible. And for some reason, it was like looking at someone that I love. And, you know, one morning I even woke up and my dad said, uh, JB, do you know that you were praising God in your sleep last night? I'm like, really? Yeah, I couldn't sleep because of it. Please don't do it. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. And, and see, here's the thing. What happened was that in that unexpected way, I found life in Jesus that was so much better than anything that I originally was hoping for. That it was better than whatever else I had missed because of my injury. And to the point where I enjoyed it so much that I didn't care to go surfing anymore. I was just happy to be on that balcony. And what I learned from that, I learned a few lessons from that experience. The first is this, is that God can take a tough, unideal, unwanted situation in your life and use it for good is that not only can God do that, but God promises to do that. Is that you might be going through a really tough, unideal, unwanted situation in your life right now, but do you know the Bible says that in all things, God works for good. Is that even when that circumstance that's tough, that's not ideal, that's not wanted, is something that you brought upon yourself, where you made a dumb choice like I did, that God somehow is that faithful and that sovereign and that good that he will somehow use it for good anyway. Now, does that, that doesn't mean that we should just go ahead and intentionally mess things up. No, but what it means is that God is sovereign. He's faithful and he's so good that even when we make a mistake, even when we make a dumb decision, that God somehow will use it for good anyways. That's how good God is. If you believe us, say amen. You see, that's the first thing I learned. The second thing I learned is this, is that Jesus is someone you were made to experience. Is that Jesus isn't just someone that you can know from afar, intellectually, philosophically, but you can actually experience the presence of God in your life. Is that when you find Jesus, you find life that nothing else in the world can give, that money can't give, that fame can't give, that power can't give, that pleasure can't give. And in fact, what we're talking about in this series called Find Your Life Again is that if you want to know the biggest, most important key to finding your life again, it's not luck, it's not hard work, it's not thinking differently about your life. The biggest key is experiencing Jesus Christ. It's because over and over in the scriptures, Jesus 
connects himself to life. He identifies himself as the life. He'll say, for example, he'll say, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He'll say, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Everyone say life. And see, in other words, if you want to find your life again, because Jesus is the life, you need to take a long, good, close look at Jesus. And see, no matter how much of Jesus you think you already know, no matter how much of Jesus you think you already have, the fact is there's always more of Jesus to experience. That's the second lesson I learned. The third thing I learned from that experience is that there is something about the word of God that brings us back to life. Is that you can be tired, you can be burnt out, you can be depleted, you can be depressed, but when you come to the scriptures with an open heart and an open mind, God can use the scriptures to bring you back to life. He can use his word and speak the word back into your life to bring you back to life. Psalm 19, 7 says it this way. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. See, there's something about the word of God that is powerful. It can bring you back to life. It can help you find your life again, help you find your purpose again, your identity again, your joy again. And see, in this series, since Jesus is the life, and since the word of God brings us back to life, we're going to look at the word of God. And we're going to look specifically at a piece of the Bible that is one of the most famous, most beloved parts of the Bible ever written. It's called the Gospel of John. And it's written by one of Jesus' first and closest disciples. And through this book, we're going to discover, and in some cases rediscover, what Jesus is all about and who he is. And see, maybe you're here and you're completely new to the Bible. I'm so glad that you're here. Maybe you're here and you've never read much of the Bible before. My hope is that together, week after week, as we study the Gospel of John together, that you're going to find something. That you're going to find that as you get to know Jesus, that in Jesus Christ, there is real life. That there is life like you can't find it anywhere else from anyone else. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you start a relationship with Jesus, that it changes things in your life. Is that you find your life again. You find hope again. You find purpose again. Maybe you're here and you've, ne- you've read the Bible before. You've read the Gospel of John before. My prayer for you is that as we go through this series together, that it's going to open your eyes to see things in the gospel of John that maybe you've never thought about before and it will help you to recover some things as well. See, last Sunday, I used the first five verses of the gospel of John to take you through what is essentially a summary of the entire book of John is that it's basically a summary of beginning to end what the book of John is all about. If you missed that message, go check it out on our YouTube channel, our podcast. It's because the first 18 verses of the book of John, sometimes known as the prologue, are essentially a summary of everything that happens in the book of John at like a 10,000 feet level. And see, today we're going to look deeply into one passage from the gospel of John. And you know, what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 1 verse 35 together today. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is we're going to read this passage out loud and it's going to sound so good because you haven't been on site with us for a long time. And so you're going to be like, wow, that sounds amazing. We're going to read God's word together. You guys ready? Here we go. It's going to sound good. I guarantee it. Here we go. One, two, three. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. See, let me give you the title to today's message. The message we're here to talk about today is called The Way We Experience Jesus. The Way We Experience Jesus. I'm here to let you know that you were made to experience Jesus. Not just to know him intellectually or know him philosophically or know him from afar or know him as a historical figure, but you were made to experience and know Jesus personally. And if you want to find life again, you need to experience Jesus. Now, the way that you experience Jesus and the way that I experience Jesus will not be exactly the same. Still, from this passage we're looking at today, we're learning some key lessons on how we all experience Jesus. Because no matter who you are and how unique you think you are, there are some commonalities in the way we experience Jesus. And we're going to look at that together. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 35. We're going to go verse by verse through this. Here we go. Number 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Everyone say, John. Now, who, who's John? Which John are we talking about? Is it John, the guy writing this gospel? No, it's another John. We talked about it last week. His name is the Baptist. That's his nickname, John the Baptist. Back then, back during John's time, John the Baptist was a famous, respected preacher. A lot of people are like, so are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ, this savior king that God said he would send to our people, the Jewish people to save us? And he's like, no, that's not who I am. So who are you, John? And John the Baptist would say, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight paths for the Lord. He's quoting from the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, when he says, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight paths for the Lord. In other words, John the Baptist was saying, I'm not the Messiah that God is promising to save the world, but I am someone pointing to and preparing the way for this Messiah. And so throughout John the Baptist's life, you're going to see him pointing people to Jesus. He's doing that so often, all the time. That's his purpose. That's his calling. That's what he's here to do. And here we find him doing exactly that as well. Look at verse 36. It says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And so what's going on? John the Baptist, he has his own disciples, people who want to learn from him, people that he's teaching, he's mentoring them. He's there, they're, he, they're, they're his disciples. And when he says to, to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God, two of them go after Jesus. And here's the thing. It's not really clear at this point when it says they follow Jesus, does it mean that they're following him out of a very clear commitment or more just out of curiosity? It's not really clear. But the fact is this, is that when these two guys hear their pastor, John the Baptists say, look, the Lamb of God. They don't just go, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's cool. No, in fact, instead they respond by taking a step toward Jesus. And because they responded, because their hearts were responsive and they took a step toward Jesus, they're going to experience Jesus in a very, very special way. And see, what's the lesson here for us? Is that how much of Jesus you experience depends on the steps you take toward Jesus is that Jesus is not one of those people where you, you know, you just sit there, you don't do anything, and, and Jesus is going to come to you all the time. No, it's not, it's not always that way. In fact, most of the time, it requires that you take a step. How many of you know that faith is a matter of the heart? Is that God can show you all the evidence in the world that he exists, 
that he's here, that he loves you, that he's good even in a world of suffering. But if your heart is closed, if your heart is hard and you're set on not believing, you're not open to any evidence to change your mind whatsoever, it doesn't matter what people show you because you're just gonna rationalize it anyways. But see, if your heart is not hard, but your heart is responsive, and you give Jesus a chance, and you give yourself a chance to experience him, you will very likely experience him. Because blessed are the responsive, for they will experience Jesus. God loves to bless a responsive heart. Look at verse 38. It says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, these are Jesus's first words in the gospel of John. It comes in the form of a question. Now, here's a question for you. How do you think Jesus said those words? What do you want? What kind of tone do you think Jesus used? Do you think he was angry and annoyed? What do you want? Do you think that's it? Or do you think he was maybe a little threatened, a little scared? Like, why are you guys stalking me? Why are you guys following me? What do you guys want? Or, or was it more kind of philosophical? Like, what do you guys really want in life? You know, what, what do you think he was doing? What do you think he was thinking? If I had to guess, if I had to guess, I don't think Jesus was angry. I don't think Jesus was annoyed. I don't think Jesus felt threatened or confused, but I think Jesus was interested. In fact, I could see him seeing that these two strangers coming to him. I could imagine him coming up to them with a smile and with a secure, humble way of talking and a ready-to-serve kind of attitude. He says, hey, how can I help you guys? What do you guys want? And see, here's a question for you. If Jesus is God, just like we talked about last week, if he's the son of God, he's not, just a, he's not only a human being, but he's also God, and if Jesus knows what these two guys need, then why does Jesus even bother to ask them, what do you want? Let me put it to you this way. If Jesus is God, and if Jesus is alive, and Jesus is here, and he knows you, he knows what you need, why does he even bother to wait for you to ask him for anything? Why doesn't he just give it to you? If all the people in this world need Jesus, need to believe in Jesus, why doesn't he just make people believe in Jesus? Why bother us having to go, oh, dear Jesus, please forgive me my sins. I received you into my life. Why do that? Let me tell you why. It's because Jesus wants you to experience him in the context of a relationship with him. See, a relationship where you trust him, where you talk to him, he talks to you where you learn to depend on him and not so much on yourself, where you initiate and he responds and where he initiates and you respond. It's called a relationship. Jesus always wanted relationship with you. Didn't just want to give you a show so you believe. He wants a relationship with you. And see, how many of you know that Jesus is a gentleman? Is that Jesus will not force himself on you if you don't want him. That's why in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he says, I, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I'll come in and eat with them. In other words, Jesus doesn't force himself into your life. He waits for you to open the door. It's because he respects you. He respects your choices. He respects your freedom. And he wants a real relationship with you where there is real love passing between the two of you, where you choose to be with one another, where you choose to communicate with one another, where you choose to rely on one another. If you believe that, say amen. And see, in other words, Jesus isn't gonna come to you if you don't want him. And, say, and, so, and so he asks, what do you want? Jesus wants you to experience him in the context of a relationship. Turn to him and say, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. That's why. Look at verse 38. Keep reading. It says, they said, rabbi, which means teacher. The fact that John has to explain this shows that he's not just talking to Jewish people who know what rabbi means. He's talking to non-Jewish people as well. And he's saying, where are you staying? Verse 37, come. 
He replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. So what's going on here? See, there were these two disciples of John the Baptist. They start to follow Jesus. And they ask, uh, hey, Jesus, uh, where do you live? And Jesus actually brings these guys to Jesus's house. Isn't that cool? And see, notice this. John does not give us any details on what Jesus' house looks like. What do you think Jesus' house looks like? Any idea? Do you think it's a big house? Small house? Medium size? Do you think he's got a lawn? Do you think he's got a mortgage? Do you think he pays rent? Do you think he owns? You know, do you think he's got a nice, very simple, clean interior design? Or is it very creative and ornate? You know, do, do you think he has a pet? Any idea? See, the fact is this. We don't know. It's probably a good thing that we don't know those details. Because if we knew what his house looked like exactly, some of us, I think, would put some unnecessary pressure on ourselves and even on others to live exactly like that too. Did Jesus live in a 500 square foot house? We need to live in a 500 square foot house. You know, did Jesus have an Xbox? We need an Xbox, right? It's about, you know, we, we almost got really legalistic because Jesus did exactly that. We need to do exactly like that. And see, here's the thing. As interesting as it is to ask these kind of questions, like what kind of house did Jesus live in physically? In some ways, we're missing the point when we ask that question. Do you know why? It's because the nature of Jesus' mission on earth was such that Jesus wouldn't stay in any one place for that long. His mission was to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, and he would go from place to place to place. He would even say stuff like, you know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And, you know, he would, you know, he's the king of heaven, remember. He's the king of heaven. He made it all. He owns it all. And yet he is willing to be born in a dirty, stinky, dark manger. And he's willing to go to the house of someone who's despised, like Zacchaeus the tax collector, and go, today, I want to stay at your house. It just goes to show that Jesus wasn't that picky about where he would stay as long as he was welcomed. Amen. And see, he would even tell his disciples, hey, stay at the first house that welcomes you. And it's this idea that the more you get to know Jesus, I think the more you're going to find that Jesus was a lot more interested in living in human hearts than he is about living in any physical building. It's like, I don't care if you live in a big house or a small house. I don't care if, you know, you've got, you know, this or that in your house, as long as I'm welcome there. And see, that's why it's okay to have a church in a gaming stadium. Amen. It's okay to have a church in an art gallery. Why? It's because if there's one lesson we've learned these past two years of this pandemic is that the church is not the building. The church is the people. Amen. Amen. Would you turn to everyone and say, we are Jesus' house. We are Jesus' house. Here's another thing. Verse 39, what does it say? It says, around the 10th hour, which scholars often think is probably at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. These two strangers who don't know Jesus, they ask Jesus, hey, can we hang out? Where do you stay? And Jesus, he is willing, and, and, he, and he just kind of says, yeah, come over. Let's hang out. And see, what's the lesson there? You can write this down. Jesus is ready, willing, and waiting to spend time with you. See, Jesus loves to, loves to spend time with people who are genuinely curious about him. And that's why if you're here and you're just new to church, new to Jesus, never been to church before, we're so thrilled that you're here. We hope you make yourself right at home here at Thrive Church because Jesus loves to spend time with people who are just genuinely curious. You might have no background at all in any of this, but because you're curious, you are welcome here. And see, have you ever been rejected before? Ever, you know, been abandoned before? Have you ever, asked, ever wanted to ask someone out, but then you're really scared about being rejected by them and what they would say? 
Have you ever questioned whether anybody really loves you? Why do I ask that question? Because one of the big lessons from John chapter one that we've been learning is that you are wanted and desired by someone and his name is Jesus. You are wanted and desired by Jesus. And when you take the initiative to spend time with Jesus, whether it's at church on a Sunday or it's on your own in your car on Monday, Jesus is thrilled. See, whenever you ask Jesus on a date, he always says yes. He always RSVPs and his answer is always yes. You never have to question how much Jesus wants you. You never have to. Because when Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross and he died on the cross for our sins, that was him answering definitively the question, this is how much I want you. How much do I want you? I want you this much. So much that I'll give my life just to have you. That's how much you're wanted by God. Turn your and say, you're wanted by Jesus. You're wanted by Jesus. You know, when Pastor Charlene and I, when we got married many, many years ago, my dad, who was ever the performer, he wanted to sing a song at our wedding reception. Uh, and so, of course, he's my dad, so we let him sing the song. And he sang an old traditional Chinese song called, in Mandarin, Yue Liang Dai Biao Wo De Xin. And, uh, and, and if, if, if it goes a little bit like this, if you've never heard it, it goes like this. Right? And, and, and what is it? It's saying this, you ask me how much I love you, how much I care, the moon reflects my heart. In other words, whether you see the moon or not, it's always there. My love for you is like that. How, why do I mention that? It's because Jesus' love for you is exactly the same way. Is that whether you always see it or not, Jesus always loves you. He wants you. And if you want to see it, don't just look at the moon, look at the cross, because the cross reflects the heart of God for you. His unconditional love, which is always there for you. Oh, if you believe that, give God a big hand and let's start in this place together right now. Amen. Amen. See, the question is not how much does Jesus want you? The question really is how much do you want Jesus? Because one of the lessons of the New Testament is this, is that you can have, by his Holy Spirit, almost as much of Jesus as you want, as long as you're intentional about it, as long as you're sincere, as long as you're humble before God. And so you don't need to even make an appointment with Jesus, just call on his name. That's how available and willing and waiting he is for you. Verse 40 says this, Aunt Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. See what's going on here. Here we learn the name of one of the two guys that first started following Jesus and went to his house. His name is Andrew. And by the way, the reason John adds that Andrew was Simon Peter's brother is because very likely John's readers know about Simon Peter. He's with the most prominent leader in the church at the time, but they don't know about Andrew. They don't know about his little brother, Andrew. Andrew was not nearly as famous or lauded as his older brother, Simon Peter. But one of the many lessons of the Gospel of John is this, is that you can be very understated. You can be even overshadowed by someone else in your life. You may seem very ordinary, at least to you, but you are significant in God's eyes. You matter to God. And if you have got a humble, willing heart, God can use your life in powerful ways. In fact, Andrew, he's one of the unsung stars of the Gospel of John. He would do some significant things because he was just simply willing. And this is one of the significant things he will do. Look at verse 41. It says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. See, notice what Andrew does after he starts. He's just starting to get to know Jesus. It's like day one of knowing Jesus. 
is that the first thing, everyone say the first thing. The first thing that Andrew does is he tells his brother about Jesus and he brings Simon to meet him. And see, here's the thing. Whenever you experience anything good, you go to a good restaurant, you watch a good movie, you know, you go to, you're traveling to a nice place. You're, oh man, this is a really cool place. We naturally want to tell people, oh, you can't, oh, you, don't, you don't believe the restaurant I went to. It was so good. And see, similarly, when you experience the goodness of Jesus in your life, it's natural to want to tell people about it. And the lesson here is this, don't be afraid and don't be ashamed to tell people about Jesus. Just be natural about it. Amen? Hey, how's your weekend? Good, good. What are you up to? Oh yeah, it was great. Church was awesome. Had a good time with the family. Got a bit of a nap. It was great. Oh, cool. Awesome. I didn't know you go to church. Yeah, I do. Do you go to church? No. Oh, cool. But wait, I go to a really cool church. It's called Thrive Church. You're always welcome to come if you want. It's what? Natural, right? It doesn't always have to be, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? It doesn't always have to be like, you know, very kind of like, you know, it can be natural. Amen? And see, that's what happened with Andrew. He naturally just shared it with his brother. So I'm going to say, just be natural. See, because your experience with Jesus is nothing to be ashamed about. It's nothing to be kind of like, oh man, I can't tell anybody. You can be thankful for it. You can even be proud of it. Let your light shine. You're never too young to tell someone about Jesus. Just be natural about it. And see, here's the thing. How most of us experience Jesus is exactly like that. It's through relationship with someone else. Someone invites you to church. Someone gives you a message. Someone makes you know, a, you know, a conversation with you. Someone has a friendship with you. Someone's example inspires you. And it's through relationship that we get to know Jesus. Maybe you're here even today and it's your first time ever in church and your friend invited you. you know, feel free later on to ask your friend, why'd you even invite me to church? And hopefully they can be natural about it and say, it's because I love you. And it's because you know, I, want, I, I want you to know Jesus as well. And see, here's the thing. It's about being natural. Amen? Because we want to be a church that shines a big light in the city for Jesus, and we want to be natural about it. If you believe that, say amen. Verse 42, here he goes. It says, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. See what's going on. Jesus gives Simon a new name in the Aramaic language, which is Cephas which when you translate into Greek is Petrus or Peter. And it literally means the rock. Not this kind of rock, not that kind of rock, not the Chris kind of rock, but this kind of rock, okay? Just so we're clear, it's this kind of rock that we are talking about. And see what's going on is in the Bible, whenever God gives someone a new name, it's not just a new name. It signifies a new identity. It signifies a new purpose in life. And see, Jesus gives Simon a new name. He calls him the rock because God wants to use Simon to be a rock on which God would build his church. And you know, I love the way that Jesus talks is that he's casting a greater vision for Peter's life than he knew himself. You know, in fact, just a few verses later, we're not gonna look at it in detail today, but just a few verses later, if you look at John about 40 something after, Jesus meets another guy called Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, he meets him the very first time. And at first, Nathaniel isn't very nice to Jesus. First, especially when he hears it the first time about Jesus, he's not very nice about, to, to Jesus about, you know, just that first meeting. But Jesus says something that changes Nathaniel's life. The first words Jesus says to Nathaniel is, here is a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. Here is a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. What does that mean? He's saying, you know, in this man, I see a guy of integrity. 
a man who wants to do things right, a man who's a man of justice and truth. And you know what? Nathaniel's response is, he's like, how did you know me? And, and it's not because Nathaniel didn't have flaws or didn't know he had flaws. It's because Jesus spoke to Nathaniel's heart about the kind of person that Nathaniel wanted to be. He was casting a greater vision for Nathaniel's life. And you know what? Jesus, did he know that Nathaniel had flaws? Of course he did. Did he know that Peter had flaws? Of course he did. But in that first meeting, that first interaction, he's not going to talk to them about all the ways that they're wrong, all the ways that they're sinned. Instead, he casts a greater vision for their lives. Amen. And he would deal with those things after. He might have a one-on-one conversation with Peter later. Go, hey, you know, maybe don't be such a show-off, you know, or whatever. But you know, at the end of the day, he was going to take these sins, every single one of them. He's going to put them on himself at the cross. And so, in the meantime, when he talks to them, he focuses on the good. Amen. He's casting a greater vision for his life, knowing that we tend to gravitate toward the vision for our lives that we focus on the most. And that's exactly what happened with Peter. See, if you look at John chapter one, you're gonna find that this is Peter's first time meeting Jesus. But if you look at the gospel of Matthew and you look at the first time that Peter interacts with Jesus, it doesn't really sound this way. In fact, let me just take it to you really quickly right now. Matthew 4, 18, it says, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. See, if you read Matthew chapter four in isolation, you don't read anything else in the Bible. You might be like, wow, Jesus meets Peter for the first time, calls him to follow him, says, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. And then at once, Peter and Andrew, they just leave everything and follow him. And depending on your personality, if you read that in isolation, you think, wow, that's crazy. I would never do that. Or you think, wow, how great faith Peter had. I wish I could do that. Or you might be like, how unrealistic is that? But here's the thing. In fact, some might compare what we're reading in John 1 with Matthew 4 and go, contradiction! Doesn't this show that the Bible's full of contradictions? Like, like, it's like, isn't John 1 and Matthew 4, they're both talking about the first time that Jesus met Peter and they're totally different events. And it just goes to show you can't trust the Bible. It's full of contradictions. Well, you gotta understand what's going on. John 1 and Matthew 4 aren't talking about the same event. See, John 1 is where Jesus first meets Peter. And they just have a simple conversation where Jesus says, your name now is the rock. That's all he says. And then later on, as Jesus and Peter get to know each other, one day, Peter, who's a fisherman, he's at his nets. And after some time of getting to know Jesus, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And that's when he goes. And see, what's that? It's because so much of John, the first part of John, is talking about the early days of Jesus' ministry, what that John had an eyewitness to. And so, in other words, Peter didn't leave everything to follow Jesus the very first time he met Jesus. Rather, Peter took a little step to get to know Jesus because his brother invited him. And it's like, hey, let's check this guy out. And see, there's a couple lessons we can learn from that. Number one, whenever you hear someone say, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions, you got to stop for a minute and say, okay, well, like what? Ask them to point it out because very often you're going to find that what people think is a contradiction is actually not a contradiction. In fact, if you understand, it may actually be a very deep lesson for them to learn. And number two is in Jesus Christ, we find our true identity and purpose, but it takes time for us to step into that identity and purpose. See, when you read the gospels, Peter is not really a rock, is he? 
He's like impetuous. He's unstable. He's impulsive. He does a bunch of things they shouldn't do. He says a bunch of things he shouldn't say. He makes more public mistakes in the gospels than almost anybody else. He's like Mr. Jelly in the Mr. Men series. But see, over time, Peter would grow to become a rock on which God would build his church. And so when it came to experiencing Jesus, guess what? Peter went through a process. So what's that for us? It means experiencing Jesus is a process that takes time. See, in some cases, for sure, some cases, you know, it's one of those things where you meet Jesus, you, you, you hear him in a service, and that, day, that same day you respond. I encourage you to do that if that's you. But see, here's the thing. A lot of times, it's a process. Sometimes we wrongly assume that anytime God works, it has to be instantaneous. Instant noodles, you know, you know, Instagram, and Instagod, right? It's like kind of everything has to be instant. So like you go, you're st- you start off as a pimp and a sex trafficker, and then you meet Jesus on day one, and all of a sudden, you're like Mother Teresa, right? It's like you just kind of complete turn around in one day, or, or you come to church that first day, and on that first day, everything changes for you. Even your hairstyle is different when you walk out of the church, right? And see, here's the thing. When, and when you don't feel that instant change, that instant gratification, we think, oh, something must be wrong with God, or something must be wrong with me, when in fact, experiencing Jesus is a process, and it takes time. Amen. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible says that when we believe in Jesus, there are certain things that happen instantaneously. When you open up your heart to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I received into my life. Instantaneously, your sins are forgiven. You don't work for it. You don't perform for it. You don't earn it. It's simply a gift you receive on that very same moment you ask Jesus into your life. Your status for God goes from lost to found, from darkness to light, from you know being an enemy of God to a child of God. It all happens instantaneously. But how many do, that's called salvation, how you're saved from your sins, but there's something else called sanctification, which is how you grow more like Jesus day by day. And how many of us know that salvation is a moment, sanctification is a lifetime. It's going to take your whole life. And even at the very end of it, you still won't be exactly like Jesus. It's something that takes time. You know, last week on Easter, my friend Howard shared his story of the difference that Jesus made in his life. And loved how transparent he was and how, you know, on one hand, he said that he received Jesus Christ into his life at a Christmas service here at church, the first time he was at church. And when he did, there were certain things he experienced right off the bat. He experienced peace like he never had before. He had hope that he didn't have before. But he also shared one more thing. He said, I'm still learning to forgive. And see, here's the thing, is that that's real. And I loved how transparent and courageous he was about sharing that. It's because experiencing Jesus isn't always just a one-time thing. It's a life long process. Amen. Here's a question for you today. What is one way that God is working on you where you realize it's not an instant thing, it's a process, and where you need to be patient in the process? Maybe for you, it's waiting for some kind of news that you're still waiting for right now. Maybe your health, the health of someone you love, and you're learning, you're in the process of not just waiting for the news, but you're in the process of learning to be patient and learning to have peace in the midst of uncertainty. Maybe right now you're in the process of working on your marriage. Maybe you're newly wedded and things are tough and you're like, wow, I didn't know marriage is this tough. Guess what? You're in the process. It's not that you weren't meant to be. It's just you are in the process. Maybe you're in the process of grieving the loss of someone you love. 
Or maybe you're in the process of discovering Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you're in the process of trying to grow a team or a ministry. Maybe you're in the process of trying to lead your family to Jesus. Maybe you're trying to, in the process of reaching out to a friend that's taking longer than you thought. Guess what? Because experiencing Jesus is a process. Don't give up, but be patient with the process and be patient with yourself. Amen. Because especially in this season of our church, we're in the middle of a process. We're in the middle of adjusting to a brand new venue, on site at least. We're in the process of getting to know new faces, which we love to see. It's so great to have you here. We're in the process of remembering people's names. Have you forgotten some names yet? You're like, oh man, what's their name? What's their name? What's their name? What's their name? And you're like, oh man, don't forget. Don't, don't worry, it's okay. You, I might forget a name or two as well. You can say to your neighbor, it's okay. I might forget your name too. It's okay, I might forget your name because we're in the process. You know, we're in the process of figuring out how to do social interactions together. Do we high five? Do we do, is that okay? Like, do we hug? Is that okay? And, and it's a process because experiencing Jesus is a process. Don't give up, but be patient with the process. Amen. You know, earlier I shared with you this experience I had with Jesus on the balcony in Hawaii. And that was year four of my relationship with Jesus. You know, back before that, I'd you know, been baptized, I received Jesus as my savior, and there, that was going on. But when I experienced that on the balcony, that was like year four. At that time, I was a work in progress. Right now, I'm still a work in progress. Amen. Oh, you don't have to say amen too loudly. But yeah, amen. Yeah, it's Charlene, Pastor Shark can say amen very loudly, right? But here's the thing, is that, is that we're all a work in progress. You're say, I'm a work in progress. Is this help for you guys today? Let me just end quickly by summarizing, in case you weren't sure what we're learning today, let me just summarize real quick. Three lessons about how we experience Jesus. Number one, realize that Jesus wants you to experience him in the context of a relationship with him. In other words, it's not just a performance that God does for you so you believe. You're not just a spectator and just going to satisfy me, God. No, it's a relationship. And so if you following Jesus is all about rules instead of pursuing a relationship, you're not going to experience very much of Jesus. If you're trying to teach your kids Christian values, but you're not modeling a relationship with Christ, then guess what? You and your family aren't going to experience very much of Jesus. You know, if you are following Jesus and you're following Jesus all about your performance and what you do and how it compares to others, then you're not going to experience much of Jesus. But if you would take a humble step toward Jesus and honestly come before him and say, God, this is where I'm at right now. I need you in my life. I need more of you. I want to hear from you. And you, you, you're responsive. You put yourself in a position to hear God's word often. You come to church. You, know, you open your Bible to read it and learn it. Guess what? You're going to experience more of Jesus because it's all about relationship. Number two, recognize that we experience Jesus through the help of others. You know, just as Andrew experienced Jesus because John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God, and he went. Or just as Peter experienced Jesus because Andrew, his brother, invited him. When we experience Jesus so often, so often, so often, it's because someone else invited, someone else shared, someone else prayed. And so since we experience Jesus through and with the help of others, don't be a lone ranger when it comes to your God journey, where it's all just by yourself all the time. You're super private. You're, you're, you don't quarantine your spiritual searching process. Instead, get into a community, be part of a good church. If you don't have a good church, then come to Thrive. We'd love to be here, church family. Be a part of a small group where you can pray with one another, support one another, because you were made to experience God, not by yourself, but with others as well. If you believe that church, say amen. Finally, number three, remember that experiencing Jesus is a process. See, today's passage shows us 
that experiencing Jesus is not a passive one-way thing where we just go about our daily lives and we don't really pay attention to Jesus. And if Jesus shows up, great. If he doesn't, that's okay. But no, experiencing Jesus is something where it matters what steps you take. And see, since it matters what steps you take, what what next step can you take toward Jesus this coming week? Maybe it's to do TDS1, getting to know Thrive Church. Maybe it's to do TDS2, growing your relationship with God. Maybe it's to join a small group. Maybe it's to join our setup and teardown crew. Maybe it's to reserve Sundays for, you know what, no matter how busy I am, even if I've got to work later on, I want to be here at church because I want to experience Jesus. It's about making room for Jesus. That's what relationship is all about. It's not one way, it's two. And when you hear God's word, you respond the best way you can. You respond with a responsive heart. Because at the end of your life, don't be someone where God says, I called, but you never answered. The ball was always in your court and you never hit it back to me. I'm still waiting for you. See, if you don't take any steps toward Jesus, if you never initiate anything with him, if you never respond to anything he initiates, you're not gonna experience much of Jesus at all. So take a step toward Jesus today. Can you all stand as we close off our service today? I hope you've learned something today. The fact is this is you are not a spectator. You were never meant to be a spectator in the kingdom of God. You were meant to be a participant. And just like Peter, I'm here to tell you today, in case you're wondering what your purpose is, you are a rock on which God wants to build this church. That's who you are. But before you can be a rock for Jesus, Jesus needs to be your rock. And how does that work? Is that when we were lost and separate from God because of our sins and had no way of reaching him, not on our own merit, not because of our performance, when we were separate from God and the wages of our sin is death, Jesus died on the cross for our sins to be the rock that would get us to God. And if you're here in this place today and you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, then I believe the next step that God wants you to take is to simply ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Maybe you're here your first time in church. This is a step you can take today. This is a step you can say, Jesus, I know I need forgiveness. I don't need to wait for tomorrow to ask for it. I know I need forgiveness. And if that's you, I'll encourage you to do this right now. You can click the QR code or scan the QR code that's on your screen. If you're online, you can click the link that's in your chat room. If you're here on site right now, we're gonna pray a prayer together with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you realize that you need Jesus in your life and you wanna ask for his forgiveness, then I'm gonna encourage you just to raise your hand right now. And one of the ushers is gonna give you a little card with a prayer on it that you can pray. And just so you're not doing this alone, we're gonna pray this. I'm gonna pray this prayer with you. A simple way just to ask Jesus Christ, to forgive you of your sins. If that's you, you realize you need that, the ushers are gonna come around and they'll just gently place a card in your hand. If you're watching online, just click the link that's in your chat room, scan that QR code. And this is a simple, humble, real way for us to just come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you today. If that's you, why don't you pray this prayer with me? In fact, let's pray this with those who are praying it for the first time, just supporting them today. Let's pray this right now. Say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please come in, forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer from your heart, 
whether you had that card in your hand or that screen in front of you, the fact is that if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, the Bible says you are forgiven of your sins, that you are a child of God, you are a citizen of heaven, and the best is yet to come. And to encourage you in this new relationship with God, you can go to the bottom of that page or go to our welcome center later on, there's a gift we wanna to give to you. On top of that, we encourage you to keep on coming to church because every baby needs a spiritual family to be a part of. We'd love to be your spiritual family. On top of that, we encourage you to get baptized. Baptism is that next step for you who trust your place your trust in Jesus. It's not a graduation, it's a beginning. Go to mythought.info for more information on baptism. Praise God. Can we give God a big hand for a great morning together today? Hello everyone! Welcome to Thrive Church. My name is Kathy and it's so great to be here with you guys today. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements for you. If it's your first time here, we would love to get to know you better, so please text you to 604-285-5770 or visit info and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. If you're on site at Leap On Place, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center by the exit door after service. If you prayed a prayer with Pastor JB earlier to receive Jesus Christ in your life today, congratulations, we have a gift package for you and we'll send you a series of videos that will help answer some questions about Christianity. Please text LEAP to 604-285-5770 or visit info. If you're on site, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center after service. Meet the pastors on Zoom is for those of you who recently started coming to Thrive Church, either online or on site. This is a perfect opportunity for you to meet our lead pastors, Pastor JB and Pastor Charlene. It is happening today at 1.30 p.m. Simply go to info and click Meet the pastors on Zoom and it'll take you directly to the Zoom meeting room. If you'd like to know what we're all about, who we are, and what we believe in, we're offering a one-hour course on Zoom called Thrive Disciples School Level 1, TDS 1. It is happening next Wednesday, May 4th, between 8 p.m. to 9.15 p.m. For more information or to sign up, please visit info. Another course we're offering is TDS Level 2. This is a six-week online course starting on May 17th that can help you build a strong foundation for growing your relationship with God. In this course, you'll learn several keys to spiritual growth and how to be able to experience these keys at work in your life. For more information or to sign up, please visit myfire.info. Last but not least, our very first Thrive Kids VBS Summer Camp is happening on August 2nd to August 5th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. If you're a parent with kids ages 3 to 9, please save the date and stay tuned for the registration info in the coming weeks. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at info. Have an amazing Sunday afternoon, and I'll see you all next week online or on-site at Leap On Place. Bye!